everybody. Welcome back to The Circle Opens, a podcast devoted to a chapter-by-chapter review of Stephen King's The Stand. Do you need an affordable source for Stephen King books, movies, collectibles, and more? Make sure to check out Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Listeners of The Circle Opens can also use the coupon code THECIRCLE for 20% off their entire order anytime, and there's always free shipping to the United States. Again, that is Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Welcome back, everybody. A quick disclaimer that I sound terrible. I have a summer cold or hay fever. I certainly do not have the super flu. Um, But seriously, I do have a very sore throat and I'm very congested and you can probably hear it in my voice. So if I'm a bit nasally this week, I apologize. Um, I'm still going to do this episode and I promise you I will not be sniffling and doing all that gross stuff uh, on uh, on this episode. I'm going to try really hard to just get through this and uh, get back to resting. So welcome back, everybody. I want to give a quick shout out uh, to everybody who has emailed me or left me a review or rating on Apple Podcast. Um, I appreciate it. See, I sniffed. I'm so sorry, you guys. I promise I'm going to try not to do that because I know the sound of it drives me crazy. So, okay. Um, Anyway, I appreciate uh, everybody's emails. I appreciate your reviews. Um, Some of the comments I've been getting uh, is how doing this podcast has motivated them to reread the novel or just read in general. And I think that's the biggest compliment uh, that I've received so far um, since starting this podcast. I think I love reading the most when it doesn't feel rushed or like an obligation. And I can just sit back and do it at my own pace and really appreciate the story, um, which is what this podcast has been doing for me as well. Uh, I know that doing a chapter by chapter every week review probably seems like an obligation, but this is my favorite novel of all time. So it doesn't feel like work to me. And I hope that rereading this novel with the podcast for you guys, uh, it also does not feel like work for you. So thank you for continuing to listen and take this journey with me. Um, I also want to say hello and a big thank you to the guys from the Take Three, a movie podcast, uh, Nick and Jordan, for their shout out this week on their episode covering book adaptations. Um, If you guys, the listeners, uh, are also movie lovers like I am, and you want a podcast hosted by two people who are very clearly passionate about movies, then I really recommend this podcast. Um, That's the Take 3 or Take 3, a movie podcast. I am always on the lookout for quality podcasts discussing film, so I was really excited to start listening, and I've already downloaded a crap ton of their uh, older episodes to listen to on my commute and at work. So thank you, Nick and Jordan. And in terms of King news this week, we found out uh, that another King adaptation is in the works, The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Apparently, an adaptation has been in development for, um, oh man, like a decade, 10 years. Uh, George A. Romero was intending on bringing it to the big screen, uh, and his his company is still involved now. Um, and King tweeted about his uh, their involvement and how thrilled he is that he's finally going to see his story come to life. And you guys will remember that Romero had wanted to do a theatrical version of The Stand as well. But unfortunately, that never came to fruition. Um, but Chris Romero, uh, former wife of George, will be teaming up with Roy Lee, who also produced It. And he they're going to produce The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. 
There is no director or script yet, uh, so it may be a while before we see this one on the big screen. Um, also, I think, yeah, Dr. Sleep, uh, starring Ewan McGregor, will be rated R, which I sort of expected uh, and I'm actually really relieved about. There are some reviews for, uh, some reviews are in for It, Chapter 2. I have not read many of these reviews because I want to go into this film without someone else's opinion weighing on my mind. Um, I do that a lot. Like I get really hyped for something and then I read uh, reviews, not necessarily from like professional critics, but just fans. And if they don't like it or they're iffy on something like it kind of um, it paints or mirrors my my thoughts of the movie even before I see it. Uh, the same thing happens with books. If I read a review from a friend of a book I really want to read um, and then I go into the book um, I have their their thoughts in the back of my head. Do you know what I mean? And I kind of let that skew how I really feel about something. And I've done this with movies before where I'll watch something and I love it to death. And then I go online and I want to read what everyone else thinks. And then everybody hates it. And I'm like, what is wrong with me that I like this movie? Um, but at least for It Chapter 2, I, I have really high expectations um, I've seen generally positive reaction. Uh, there's been some critiques, which there's going to be for every film. Uh, Bill Hader seems to be getting the most attention for his portrayal as Richie, which I kind of had a feeling that would happen. I love Bill Hader. I think out of the entire cast, he is the most perfectly cast uh, actor. So I have my tickets. I know I told you guys that last week, but I'm really excited for this one. Um, so I'm going to move on from that before I get too excited and I keep going. <laughs> uh, this week, I also read Elevation for the first time. Uh, King uh, released that last last year. I finally got around to reading that one, um, as, as well as Gwendy's Button Box and Carrie. Okay, so Elevation and Gwendy's Button Box were both new reads for me. Um, I've been on kind of a short story novella kick, uh, and I posted my reviews of those two novellas on my blog, thecircleopens.com. And I also decided to reread Carrie. Um, I read that book when I was 19, and that was a really long time ago. I'm not going to tell you how many years. It was 20. Um, but I decided to finally reread it for the second time. And, uh, oh, boy, man, this book kind of snuck its way into my head. And I, I'm still trying to decide where it lands on my top 10 king list, but it might be up pretty high. Um but I put that review up at the blog as well. So if you guys have read those and you want to come tell me what you think, uh, the blog is thecircleopens.com. And now that I have rambled on for several minutes about books, uh, let's go ahead and jump into The Stand, Chapter 16. Last week in Chapters 14 and 15, we got an inside look at Colonel Dietz as he recorded a report to send to his superior, General Starkey. Dietz gave a bit of information about Stu, whose codename was Prince, and how, while Stu is still healthy, uh, they believe he will eventually come down with the super flu, uh, the same way that four-year-old uh, Eva Hodges has, and we learn also that Henry Carmichael has died as well, and of course, we learn that Colonel Dietz is scared. Uh, they attempted a vaccine on Joe Bob Brentwood, uh, the deputy um, who kind of gave the tip off to the boys of Arnett, Texas, that uh, the doctors were going to be coming for them. Um, he, they gave him a vaccine, and he reacted favorably to it at first. Uh, they had some positive results. He was getting better. He had an appetite. And then um, he kind of... Uh, 
oh, what's the word I'm looking for? He took a turn for the worst and died. Yeah. So they're able to diagnose the flu. Um, it looks, it, it seems like it was a drop in blood pressure, um, but that was basically it. It was just impossible otherwise to diagnose it. And they can see the incubators of the virus um, on some of their medical slides from the sinus, but that's it. Like they can't stop it. Uh, they can pinpoint it, but that's really all they can do. And also, oh yes, nurse Patty Greer has come down with what she believes is hay fever. I think I have that too. And rather than report her cold symptoms, she ignores them, leading her to um, infect a doctor, a nurse, and an orderly uh, within the uh, building with her. So the flu has finally been unleashed in whatever building this is that they have Stu quarantined. So here we are in chapter 16. And in chapter 16, we are taken to Arizona, where two men are driving on US 180, far from Atlanta, Georgia. In a stolen white Continental. Uh, they call this the Connie. The two men are Polk and Lloyd Henry. And within the Connie, um, they've got some hash, some cocaine, and some pot, and a lot of pot. And they also have 13 guns, including six rifles and a submachine gun. Um, oh, and they've also murdered six people, including the owner of the Connie, his wife and daughter. Lloyd and Polk are on their way to New York to deal the drugs that they have, but they're taking a rather confusing route to get there. Um, in their mind, this is this is to throw off the pursuit of the police. Uh, Lloyd has some very stereotypical kind of funny uh, thoughts of, you know, the, the coppas. So they think that, you know, going this way and that way and this way and that way is going to somehow throw off uh, police pursuit of them. Um, their crime spree actually began in Nevada, and now they're in Arizona, where Lloyd realizes that they've become interstate fugitives, and they did this as soon as they crossed from Nevada into Arizona, and Lloyd is not terribly concerned with the murders they've committed. Um, he seems more concerned with getting pulled over uh, with so many drugs and guns in the car. I think he, he believes that's probably worse. Um, that doesn't really seem to slow them down any either. Uh, Polk is still speeding with, uh, within the Connie, and if they're really worried about being pulled over, um, they probably shouldn't be rolling a joint either. So, <laughs> But that's what they're doing. Um, they've got plenty of drugs and guns, but they're also low on gas. And uh, they have $16 to their name and a bunch of credit card, stolen credit cards that they know they can't use. Um, but Lloyd's response to this is that um, it's a very simple thought. God will provide. Uh, Polk does not seem too sure about that, but uh, the joint helps, of course, and off they go. Um, Polk's real name is Andrew Freeman, and he met Lloyd about a year ago in the Brownsville Minimum Security Station. This is a Nevada work farm. Brownsville was supposed to be a farm, but the Nevada sun uh, has made it difficult. Nothing really grows there. Uh, this was uh, one of my favorite lines in this chapter, which this is very random, but it did make me chuckle. Uh, it says, carrots and lettuce got one taste of that blaring sun, chuckled weakly, and died. I'm not sure why I found that to be so amusing, but I did. Um, it's just King's way with words, I guess. Anyway, uh, Brown Brownsville is also minimum security because according to the warden, who likes to be called the boss, there's nowhere to run or hide if someone tries to escape. It's essentially a desert. Uh, nothing grows there. Nothing blooms. 
a few men tried to escape, but they were usually brought back uh, in a couple of days, sunburned and uh, willing to sell their soul for like, for a drink of water. It seems like it's rather easy to go a bit mad out there and hallucinate. Polk was in Brownsville for assault, and he was released in April of 1989, which is a little over a year before the uh, happenings of this book. And Lloyd was his cellmate. And before Polk left Brownsville, he told Lloyd to meet him in Vegas for a big score if he was interested. Lloyd, who had attempted to rape a showgirl in Reno, was released on June 1st. He got out early on good behavior, claiming it was too hot in Brownsville to misbehave. So Lloyd decided to meet Polk in Vegas, where Polk let him in on an opportunity. Uh, He knows a one-time business associate named Gorgeous George. I really love these names, even for uh, these characters who you know probably aren't going to last more than a couple pages. But anyway, so Gorgeous George works for a Sicilian-type person or people bringing and taking things from Las Vegas to L.A. and L.A. to Vegas, Uh, mostly drugs for big-time customers, um, but sometimes guns, which, uh, according to Polk, is always a bring and never a take. Polk believed that the Sicilian types sometimes sold guns to independent thieves, and George was willing to give them um, the time and place when these items would be in the offing. Polk and Lloyd essentially will come by, beat up George, take the haul, but they will give George 25% of whatever they make from selling the drugs and the guns. It sounds like a good deal. Uh, Don't they always sound like good deals for petty thieves and petty criminals? Yes, they do. Um, Lloyd had second thoughts about doing this, but uh, Polk is persuasive and they decide to go through with it. So the plan is set in motion and they show up at George's house following uh, the instructions uh, exactly how they had been discussed between the three. They tie Gorgeous George up in a chair. They give him a bloody nose, a black eye. Um, And then Polk, he begins to wonder if George can keep a secret. Or if he would turn on Polk and Lloyd and tell his bosses exactly who took their stuff. Uh, George tries to insist that this will not happen. But of course, his mouth is taped and he's tied to a chair. Uh, he's pretty helpless. Uh, the only thing the only thing um, Polk can think to do is they're going to have to uh, kill him. Or pokerize him, as Polk calls it. And Lloyd is hesitant, but he... Goes along with it. He agrees. Sure, why not? This just killed the guy. So yeah, poor gorgeous George. They suffocate him, and then they take his haul and the car. He has a, I think it was a Mustang. Um, oh yeah, and a peanut butter jar with twenty six dollars and sixty cents in dimes. They leave Vegas and they head into Arizona, where they robbed. Um, they end up robbing a general store. And they kill the elderly owner um, before taking $63 from the till and his pickup truck. And they leave George's Mustang in the parking lot. Um, the, the pickup truck does not work out in their favor. By the next morning, they've got two flat tires. <sighs> and that's when the white Continental came down the road. Neither had realized that they crossed from Arizona at this point into New Mexico the day before. So... Uh, yeah, crossing three states and they're, they've already killed somebody. So they're basically a target now for the FBI. Um, the owner of the Connie, uh, he's a good guy. He pulls over to ask if they need help. 
And you know what he gets for his trouble for trying to help these two guys? He gets a bullet between the eyes. So, uh, yeah, Poke and Lloyd are not good people. Uh, now they're driving back west in this Connie back to Arizona. Um, although they've never realized that they actually left Arizona. They thought the whole time they've been there. They're these. OK, these two guys are not the brightest bulbs in the bunch. Um it probably doesn't help that they keep smoking a bunch of weed. <laughs> so they're pretty stoned the whole time, which again, they don't want to get pulled over. They have guns and drugs in their car. They don't want to get pulled over, but they're going to smoke weed and drive stoned. You know, that's not going to attack, uh, attract any police, uh, attention. Right. So they're driving back West, um, back to Arizona, um, and the newspapers at this point are starting to report on their crime spree. They also are not aware of this because obviously they're not reading a newspaper or reading anything for that matter. Um, but Lloyd is ready for food. He wants to eat and they also need more cash. So he's thinking they'll stop at a gas station. They'll rob it, get some cash, some maps and a car that will blend into the desert scenery uh, before they head north and get out of Arizona. Yeah, so these guys are not like this intellectual mastermind of whatever the heck they think they're doing. Um, I would predict that they'd get to New York, try to sell this stuff, and they'd both be dead in like 24 hours. I, I'm pretty sure of that. Somebody a lot smarter than they are and a lot more violent would uh, get rid of them real quick. Anyway, I'm going to start going on a tangent about how dumb these two are. So anyway, um, they decide to stop in Burak. And I really hope I said that right. Barack, uh, Lloyd is feeling paranoid uh, for reasons he can't really explain. But then Polk joins him with that nervous feeling. Anyway, so they get to this gas station. It has a convenience store attached to it. And in the front of the gas station is a Ford wagon with a horse trailer attached. And Lloyd is thinking this is exactly what they need. I'm not sure that they need the horse, but they want this Ford wagon. So they grab their guns and they head into the gas station. Um, but the police know who they're looking for now because our petty criminals, Poke and Lloyd, Dummy One and Dummy Two, left their fingerprints all over Gorgeous George's house, as well as the general store where they killed the owner. And they also left the stolen pickup truck within about 50 feet of the bodies of the Connie owner, his wife, and daughter. <laughs> so the police deduced with their brilliant minds that the men who killed George and the general owner also killed the uh, family who owned the Continental. Um, so po Pokemoid, um, they might have been privy to this information. They might have picked up on it. They might have decided to continue east and get the hell out of Arizona had they been listening to the radio. Um, instead of this cassette tape that they had in the, in the car, because Arizona and the New Mexico police are coordinating, quote, the largest manhunt in 40 years, all for a couple of small time grifters who cannot quite comprehend comprehend what they might have done to start such a fuss. Inside this uh, gas station slash convenience store is a cowboy paying for his cigarettes and Slim Jims. In another aisle nearby, near the door, is a tired-looking woman picking out some spaghetti sauce. And there's also the proprietor. He's wearing a Shell Company cap. Um, I don't know if that means the gas station is Shell or what, but he's wearing a company cap, and he's behind the counter. 
And when he looks up at the sound of the door, his eyes widen, which obviously he sees the guns that Lloyd and Polk have brought in. Lloyd jumps into action and tells everybody to stay still and nobody will get hurt. But Polk, being Polk, immediately shoots the woman in the sausile. So yeah, Polk's pretty much a nut job. And while Polk and Lloyd are looking at the woman's dead body, Lloyd can't understand why he did that. The cowboy at the front pulls out his own gun and calmly shoots Polk in the face. Uh, the whole left side of his face disappears in, quote, a spray of blood and tissue and teeth. And doesn't that just paint a lovely picture for us readers? Polk screams and stumbles his way out of the store to the porch. Um, and Lloyd begins to fire. And it says that he begins to fire more in reflex than self-defense. Um, and then the cowboy continues to find return. And the entire place is just getting destroyed in a hail of bullets. Um, eventually, Lloyd kills the cowboy. Uh, but he continues to fire until his submachine gun is empty. Um, yeah, so this the whole store is pretty much ruined. Everything's shot to hell. The cowboy is dead. Um, the proprietor uh, ducked behind the counter. And the way it's described, you're not really sure if he just ducked out of the fire, um, the firefight or if he got hit and fell dead. We don't really know yet. Um, but yeah, so this is this is great because Lloyd's response after the destruction is over is holy gee. And I don't know why it's, it's ridiculous. It's silly, but that actually made me laugh out loud when I read it. Just holy gee. Yeah, no kidding. Um, oh God, not Lloyd. Poke. Poke is the one who was shot. He's still screaming about it. He comes back inside. Uh, Lloyd assures him calmly that he got the cowboy, but Poke is crazy now and uh, a bit of a mess, as King puts it. And that's probably an understatement as his entire left side of his face is gone, as is most of his teeth. Um, his left eye is gone as well. And he retrieves his gun. Uh, he decides he is going to just empty the whole thing into this cowboy's head. And Lloyd is in shock. He cannot understand how this all happened and all how did it happen so quickly what the hell just happened um, but just as poke is about to shoot the already dead cowboy the proprietor pops up from behind the counter with a double-barreled shotgun and poke barely has time to look up before the gun is fired and the rest of poke's face um, is gone and he falls dead to the ground so Lloyd may not be some mastermind criminal, but he knows when it's time to get the blank out. Um, he makes a run for it. Uh, just as Lloyd is heading for the Connie, um, an Arizona state cruiser pulls in. Lloyd tries to tell the trooper that three people were killed inside and the man who did it ran out the back. And he even gets so far as to getting in behind the driver's side uh, seat or the steering wheel of the Connie. But then he remembers um, he, yeah. The Connie keys are in Poke's pocket, so he's pretty screwed at this point. Uh, the trooper is able to stop him. So Lloyd decides that he does not want his face to uh, go the way of Poke's, so he opts not to fight it, and he gets arrested. The man in the shell cap who killed Poke comes out with his shotgun and tells the trooper exactly what happened. Uh, the cowboy's name was Bill Markson, and the woman was Mrs. Storm, and they are both dead. He explains that he killed the other one, Poke, and he wants to kill Lloyd, too, if the cops will let him. 
Uh, they call him Pop, and they tell him to calm down. And Lloyd has the balls to tell the cops that uh, he, they need to get him away from Pop because he thinks that guy is crazy. <laughs> so the trooper tells Lloyd that he has this coming, and he knocks him out with the barrel of his pistol. And yeah, Lloyd had that coming. Lloyd had that coming and so much more. Um, but it will be evening again when Lloyd finally wakes up in the Apache County Jail Infirmary. And that brings us to the end of chapter 16. Uh, we get a somewhat gruesome chapter led by Polk and Lloyd, uh, petty criminals of limited intelligence, though it seems like Lloyd has slightly more brains than Polk. Um, he is not entirely like ready to jump in and mur murder people the way that Polk is, uh, but he still follows Polk, allowing the other man to make the decisions that eventually bring their downfall. And I'm not saying that Lloyd is very sharp either. I mean, he's got his freaking machine gun on like the dashboard of their car and he's smoking weed in his car while being worried about getting pulled over. Um, they left fingerprints all over the crime scenes. I mean, they left their pickup truck that they stole by the bodies of the owners of the Connie. Like, come on. <sighs> anyway, so he is, they commit a lot of crime. Okay, they, there's murder, auto theft, robbery, and they do nothing to clean up after themselves. They leave plenty of evidence behind for the cops to figure out who they're looking for. And Lloyd and Polk might have known uh, this could happen from the radio had they been listening to it. But they're so doped up that they don't even realize they've crossed into a new state. I mean, uh, it's very frustrating when people like this get away with so much and do so much damage to people. Um, but it sounds like, you know, Lloyd might finally get what's coming to him. And in Burak, you know, Lloyd just wants some money and a new ride. I don't think that he planned on killing anyone, uh, nor do I think he wanted to kill anyone. It was Polk's idea to kill George, and while it's not explicitly mentioned who killed the general store owner, they say he was pokerized. Uh, it was Polk who also killed the driver of the Connie. Um, he might have been the only one to kill the daughter and wife, too. They don't really say, or the book doesn't say. But it's also Polk who immediately opens fire on Mrs. Storm and Burak, despite the fact that she was unarmed and not at all a threat to them. Um, when faced with people who are not helpless, like the cowboy and Pop the proprietor, um, proprietor, Lloyd and Polk find themselves taken off guard, which leads to Polk getting shot and eventually killed. Um, and Lloyd takes off, aware that the odds are not in his favor with Pop aiming his double-barrel shotgun at him. So Lloyd clearly has his problems. Um, we don't know much about him personally beyond the fact that he spent time in jail for attempted rape. And there's not really mention of his age or his upbringing, but, you know, that might come later. Uh, he may not be borderline psychotic like I think Polk was, but he's also not a good person. And maybe he's more reluctant to dive into violence headfirst, but he still does it. He seems to be someone who is um, easily led and persuaded. And Polk doesn't seem that he did not seem all that smart either because he's dead now, but he was still able to talk Lloyd into taking up George on this opportunity. He was also able to talk Lloyd into murder. Um, so Lloyd might just be one of those guys who is eager to follow rather than lead. 
And now that Poke is gone, RIP Poke, and Lloyd is back in jail, um, there are no mentions of the flu in this chapter, but it's a definite change from the four characters we've gotten to know so far. Um, Franny, Larry, Nick, and Stu, all at various locations in the country and all seemingly good people, even if they have their flaws and their hangups. But Lloyd Henry does not muster up any kind of empathy or sympathy from me. Um, I suppose in a book like this, you're going to have your heroes and you're also going to have your villains. And I think it's pretty clear from this chapter what side of the coin Lloyd will fall on. Um, but we will have to wait and see to know for sure because next week in chapter 17, we are back with General Starkey, who is going to get some more bad news and he'll have to make a rather difficult decision. So that brings us to the end of episode 15. And I'm going to try really hard not to let the uh, the numbers being off by one, like, bother my OCD too much. And if you have any thoughts on chapter 16 or any of the chapters we've covered thus far, feel free to send me an email at thecirclecloses at gmail.com or you can reach out to me on thecircleopens.com. And I've recently redone the site and it's still a work in progress, but I'm pretty proud of it so far. Um, I think it's a little bit more user-friendly, easier on the eyes. Um, and you can leave a comment there and I'll get back to you when I can. Or you can find me on social media, as usual, um, at The Circle Opens. So we are coming to the end of August, which is insane, but I'm ready for fall. I'm ready for some cooler weather. Um, and thank you guys for hanging in there with me this episode. And I, I really do apologize for my voice. I promise I – well, I can't promise because I don't know how long this will last, but I'm hoping – to be better by next week so I'm not sounding so sickly. Um, but yes, thank you. <laughs> I am also looking forward to reading chapter 16 and talking about it with you guys. So that being said, M-O-O-N, that spells see you next week. <laughs>